Okay, Audacity is recording. Oh my god. Alright, hey. Hey. Oh my god. Hello? Oh no. Did I do something again? How did I do this? Oh my god. Christ on a cracker. Jacob? Hey. 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 Um, I don't know what episode of the podcast this is, so I'm just going to say welcome to this episode. I am back here with Professor Miller. Hello. Um, also, what your email is like, pub, pub, pub sociology. Sosh, and yeah, I was yeah. like, pub sosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's an entirely different endeavor. <laughs> uh, that's, that's your weekend email address, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so... We're going to talk today a little bit about, I think uh, we said colloquially, we're going to say modern art. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people talk about modern art and the term itself is a little bit kind of iffy, uh, can can apply to a number of different eras. Uh, It has a very specific meaning within the art world. But I think, again, colloquially, uh, colloquially, we tend to to think of it as just we we hear modern art and we think of contemporary art. And those are actually two separate things, contemporary versus modern art. Uh, But I think for this discussion, it's fine for us just to collapse them into each other and to broadly broadly mean like art that's a little bit more conceptual, uh, either either in its representation or the con or the ideas behind it. So that kind right. of that encapsulates both modern and contemporary art. Maybe conceptual art would be a better blanket term for it, like an umbrella term. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like if you, if you say conceptual art, like if you say modern art, that's what, what we're talking about is right, typically right. what comes to people's minds. Yeah. So I did do a little bit of just a history of the beginning of, quote-unquote, modern art. So so modern art refers to art that showcases the artist's interest in reimagining, reinterpreting, and even rejecting traditional aesthetic values of uh, preceding styles. Mm-hmm. And I think Marcel Duchamp. Was oh, yeah, Duchamp. Yeah. Duchamp. Oh, excuse me, Duchamp. <laughs> Marcel Duchamp was He's... kind of um, the pioneer of the, the style. It encompasses a variety of different styles of art, and I didn't really know that. So Impressionism was considered kind of the catalyst of modern art. Yeah. And Claude Monet in the 1870s kind of started this, and that was the blurred brushstrokes. And that reminds me of a line in the movie Clueless where... (laughs) Claire is talking about a guy. She's like, oh, he's a real Monet. He looks good from far away, but when you get close up, he's a big old mess. (laughs) Um, 
Which is usually why I don't really like impressionist painting is because it's like, I don't know, you got to be far away to appreciate it. <laughs> and then post-impressionism took Monet's techniques and kind of pushed them a little bit further. So that's um, sort of Vincent van Gogh's time, 1890s, more colorful, and they focused more on emotions and not necessarily real interpretations of what they saw, more of subjective. So you think of like mm-hmm. Starry Night, that's obviously not what the night sky looks like, but it's meant to evoke more of an emotion as opposed to what is really there. Falvism is one that just, I, yeah, yeah. I did yeah. not, <laughs> that one was weird. That was when it kind of started to look a little. Yeah. That's when they, they, they put, pay a lot of attention into um, trying to capture the emotions of the artists, uh, typically through color. Um, and, and it's kind of tied to like uh, expressionism and, and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, expressionism is what I have next, and it's more of bright colors, uh, more abstract, and it's one where you look at, you know, Monet's impressionist works, and you're like, oh, okay, that's a that's a boat scene, or, you know, okay, that's a this. You look at an expressionism painting, and you're like, oh, that's a horse. <laughs> um, so it, it started to edge more towards abstract. Fauvism definitely, you know, started to get that way, but expressionism is definitely where it's like, oh, okay. And then... Cubism came next, which is Picasso. Yeah, and this is actually tied very tightly to postmodernism and kind of this this uh, desire to look at the different perspectives of of like truth and reality, you know. And and uh, historically, we we tend to kind of think of reality as having one objective truth. Um, and cubism kind of challenges that by saying, you know, we can look at things from different perspectives and we get different uh, different views. Yeah. So that actually makes me think of, uh, odd, oddly enough, a famous cubist painting, um, The Girl in the Mirror by mm. Picasso, because I remember talking about it during my one art appreciation class that I took. <laughs> um, you know, it's you've got what the girl actually looks like and then you have this different um, image in the mirror. So, you know, it's sort of the, what is real versus what she sees versus what we see sort of aspect that I think is really interesting. And then after cubism is surrealism, which is the melting clocks and all that kind of stuff. And that is rooted in kind of this like dreamlike subconscious state. It's the weird stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's the weird stuff i actually got to see a uh, a dolly painting oh yeah um, yeah in spain so it, i mean it was just in, insane and then i think the 60s and 70s was when you saw a rise in performance art mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the you know body movement and stuff is that such yeah and and a lot of that kind of marks that that transition we were talking about earlier between uh modern art and then contemporary art Uh, i said before that modern art kind of it it focuses more on kind of abstraction of the um of, of like our representation of something so instead of representing it uh you know photographically or, or hyper-realistically, right. we, we would kind of mess with the interpretation of that representation. Uh, contemporary art does the same thing, but it does it with the concept of art itself, right? So instead of just <laughs> blurring the literal lines on the on the canvas or on right. the paper, it blurs the metaphorical lines about like what, what counts as art and like what, how do we perceive artistic uh expressionism or whatever i think that's definitely an interesting um question what is art i was tech i was talking to a friend of mine who is a um she's an art 
history lecture. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, the different types of artists and stuff. And, um, you know, I said, I wonder, I've always wondered if people who, you know, paint still fruit and stuff kind of look at the people who do performance art or paint these really weird things you know if they kind of look at them askance like what is what is that <laughs> and you know she made the comment you know she's like well i know when i'm painting fruit i'm always thinking of the symbolism and i was like yeah but i'm pretty sure when my mother-in-law paints a bowl of fruit she's <laughs> she's not thinking about the symbolism yeah. of that banana next to that pomegranate yeah you know and 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 to be honest a lot of times there's there you know we're going to get into this but but art and especially especially conceptual art is a very political thing yeah um and even amongst artists that can be the case because a lot of you know artists are in an artistic economy and they're fighting for jobs and they're fighting for you know finances so there's like an economic incentive to defining art in one way or another and so a lot of artists that um, whose work is primarily um, representative or uh, like hyper realistic, they really do take offense to the idea of somebody, right. uh, for instance, uh, taping a banana to a wall, <laughs> and and, yeah. and and that being art, and then not just that that being classified as art, but that making a lot of money, right? Uh, right so right, right. you know, uh, I'm referring, of course, to the piece uh, comedian, which was, um, I think, towards the end of last year, so towards the end of uh, 2019. Uh, was presented at a um, an art fair in Miami and consisted just of a banana that was <laughs> taped to a wall uh, and earned. Um, there were different copies of it, uh, but some of the some of the copies earned were were sold for a hundred and twenty thousand, uh, and then two of the artist proofs were sold for a hundred and fifty thousand. Where's that banana um, gonna be in two weeks' time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what. One of them, because th- th- this okay. So we should we should actually we're gonna. I'm already uh, messing up our our planned uh, oh, no. trajectory here. <laughs> but I'd like to go. I'd like to maybe talk about this because this might frame. This might kind of frame what we're gonna talk about as we kind of move forward. Um, is before we go yeah. into the before we go into that, I just want to yeah. jump back to what we were talking about. You know, because I lo- I watch a lot of like Project Runway mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Don't judge me. I like trash TV. <laughs> That's you all right. Know, and you have to think about, like, my great-grandmother lived through the Depression, and she made all of her clothes. Um, and so you have that juxtaposed against these people who are literally walking down a runway with, you know, 57 coats sewn together, and that's art, that's fashion. You know, so there's this weird sort of, you know, you you tape a banana to a wall, and it sells for $120,000, Versus, you know, like I said, my mother-in-law, who is a fabulous artist and is not selling paintings for $120,000. So this this is actually something that this is a really good point. And I'm glad that you brought this up. Um, So this is something I can speak to specifically from sociology. Um, So as a sociologist, one of the things I study is is taste and aesthetics. And we, we often kind of divide aesthetics into two different categories you'll, you'll often hear, hear the terms highbrow and lowbrow yeah, yeah, yeah. and so we'll talk about highbrow art and lowbrow art or highbrow aesthetics or lowbrow aesthetics and when we think about this we uh we also have this term called the aesthetic disposition that's uh, typically associated with highbrow art and the difference is the is that the uh, the 
um, aesthetic disposition is associated with uh, form over function. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we look at like highbrow, and I'm using air quotes here, you can't see them. Uh, <laughs> but when, I, when we use this term highbrow art, what we're talking about is art that is focused on the the form rather than the function. And when we talk about lowbrow art or a popular, sometimes called as a popular aesthetic, we're talking about function over form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I need to say that we're, we're not making judgments based on these. We're, it's just like, I am. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because because there's a tendency when we talk about these different like the the aesthetics of elites versus the the aesthetics right, right. of the masses, it's very dangerous to to either think of the elites as better or as are the um, masses as being like lowly or ignorant or something like that. And that's not what these terms are trying to get at. Um, and the and the inverse, too. We're not necessarily talking about the elites being snobby and right, right. The, the, you know, but what we're understanding is that your your economic background and your position in society impacts how you are able to interact with culture. Yeah. And so if you have enough money to feed yourself, <laughs> then you can you can go out and you can get a fancy gourmet uh, meal of all of these tiny little things because you're not you're not having to eat food that's going to fill you right, up and make right, you right. full. And so it's the it's in that instance it's the form that matters, not the function. But when you're Why poor, expensive food, always tiny food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's it's because the function of that expensive food is not to fill you up. True, true. The true. function of it is to like think about it. It's like right. essay <laughs> essay food, right? Um, and, <laughs> that and that's the last because, thing I want out of a meal. <laughs> and that's because when you're rich, you don't have to worry about all yeah. of the bullshit that the rest of us have to worry about right like um i don't know if you ever read the hunger games but i read it back when it first came out you've got like katniss the main girl who you know she's having to actually literally hunt to survive and you have people at the capitol that are i mean they're doing the opposite of eating the tiny things but they're literally gorging themselves and then they'll throw up yeah yeah yeah. you know so you've got that that's definitely, you know, I'm eating to taste this food and feel full. I'm not eating for nourishment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so that would be like a, a really like exaggerated example of form over function or, the, right. or what we call the aesthetic disposition. So and what what's really fascinating about this notion of, of the aesthetic disposition is that it kind of works as like a code through that that's through which art and culture is like um encoded so like you know art is is has some kind of meaning or kind of story or message mm-hmm. in it and that message is encoded into it using the aesthetic disposition and and so elites go to schools and they learn all of this stuff and and it's when they go to look at some of this art uh uh they they a lot of times have the tools to interpret it and it it's not about them being smarter or better or anything like that it's that they've been trained to look for these specific things and the people that are making the art have been trained in that same language mm-hmm. and so the artists and the the um consumers of the art are speaking the same language right mm-hmm. yeah and so a lot of times if you if you don't have that language and you don't have that history of of, of ideas that, that are connected to the art then you look at the art and it just seems like bullshit and it seems like a big joke that you're left out of and that's really not what it is but but that's one of those things that that also serves to create divides between people. So yeah, God, deep shit, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, I didn't no, mean no. to hijack. hijack <laughs> too much, so. No, no, um, no. That's that's so interesting. The the difference in 
you know, your your perception and your um, understanding of art and the whole concept of highbrow and lowbrow. Um, do we want to talk about the reactions to specifically the kind of modern art that we're talking about or yeah. let's let's um I, I think it might help us to to again like maybe center this on on some on um uh, current conversation so so today actually I, I had said before that I hadn't looked over my notes in a while which is true <laughs> but I did I was looking at um, just to just to really date this podcast to the specific time that's being recorded uh, <laughs> yeah right uh, I uh, Congress just passed a a bill um, that's a stimulus package for the the coronavirus and and um, uh, the pandemic, the global pandemic that's going on right now, and part of that stimulus package was uh, money that was going towards the arts. Um, there was uh, 25 million, I think, going towards the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts, and then another 25 million um, to uh, the National Art Foundation, or National—I'm sorry, National Foundation for the Arts, and uh, another 25 million for the the humanities uh so there's a large portion of this um of of the stimulus package is going towards the arts that's really awesome yeah the response to this as you can probably imagine is people losing their shit because they're like they're spending money on arts when we're all dying like (laughs) that's so like i've I've seen a, a meme and it's um you know all these people that shit on artists really should go or shit on people who go to college for artistic majors should go a week without watching a movie listening to music you know so I mean these people at these these centers you know like they have jobs that you know (laughs) they're important yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people, and not even just artists, but also the people that are connected to it. We right. one of the things when we study art communities, um, we in, in sociology is we study what we call art worlds, and this is not just the people that are creating art, but also all of the people that are part of that industry. We have people that are curators of museums. We have janitors that are cleaning things up in these museums. Uh, we have librarians that that um, you know help help organize both the art and also the materials on the art we have people that make the brushes and people that make the the (laughs) paints and the materials like this is a huge to clean the and restore you know yeah absolutely yeah this is yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah Uh, like you know uh, people that do restore restoration work and and uh, and so so it's a huge industry this is a huge industry and uh, if we're looking to stimulate the economy uh, a huge portion of the economy is the arts right um and and also it's a it's just an important thing for morale and i don't know making society worth living in right well it's super interesting because um to think about you know art in a time of crisis mm-hmm. um you know all of those nursery rhymes that are about the plague you know ring yeah. around the rosy so how did kids cope with that shit they sang songs that's art you know art kind of helps us yeah 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 so and but one of the one of the responses that really got me from this that ties into what we're talking about today is that i saw a lot of responses that were were making 
um, specific reference to this uh, to this piece that I was talking about earlier called The Comedian uh, and saying like, oh, great. So 25 million to tape a banana to the wall, I bet, oh, is what yeah. you were saying, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, so I think that, that a good way to start talking about maybe this um, uh, conceptual art is to talk a little bit about The Comedian piece. Uh, and then we can we can talk about some of the ideas and people's responses to it. And then uh, after that, maybe we can go and talk about uh, I know that we have a long list of these other other pieces that we can talk I have, about. I have a couple that I'm super pumped to talk about. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. ready. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So take, take it good. away. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So to start out with this uh, this piece. So most people have probably encountered this. And I think that that's that's something to be said. Is Actually, that, I haven't. So I'm going to Google it now. OK, yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah, it's really good. It's called I mean, the comedian. The comedian, yeah. Uh, the the artist was uh, uh, Maurizio Catalan. I think that's. I don't know what I was expecting, but it's a <laughs> banana tape to a wall. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So it is. It is. I don't uh, know. I don't know if I was expecting some sort of poignant. Um, no, that's a banana. Yeah, yeah. So can can you describe what you see? Okay, it's a uh, it's a banana. Mm-hmm. And it's duct taped to a wall. Okay. Yeah. It's actually it's duct taped to a white wall. Um, they the banana is not pure yellow. I don't know if it's this is if it started off like this, but it's a freckledy banana. Um, I would probably want it to be a little bit more freckledy before I ate it, but to each <laughs> his own. Um, yeah, just on a white ra- white background. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's up there. It's the uh, the tape crosses at kind of an angle. Yeah, um, yeah, and so w- this was at a um, makes kind of an awkward X. Yeah, 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 exactly. So this was at a Miami art fair, and this was one of the pieces that was there, um, and it was presented along all of these other, you know. Uh, I don't even know how many pieces they they had at this, but it's a pretty prestigious um, art fair. And it got a lot of attention and a lot of like fury that came up as a response to this. Uh, As I mentioned before, um, the actual art piece is it's a real banana, right? So it's placed on there. And so, you know, as a result of this, the people that quote and unquote buy this artwork, the banana is going to rot, right? Right. But unless you make banana bread. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Oh man, that might be uh, that might be an extension of this piece that we could uh, we could really talk about. Um, but but uh, along with this piece, along with when when you were to pay your one hundred twenty thousand dollars or your one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get this artwork, um, you wouldn't just receive the banana and the duct tape. Um, you would also uh, receive a certificate of authenticity that says that this is a, a, the you know an official this piece. Is the banana. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then it also um, includes instructions on how to replace the banana and replace the duct tape. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. And so um, the the idea is that the banana will slowly rot, and whenever yeah. you whenever you as the owner of this piece feel like it, you can remove the banana and replace it with a new banana. Uh, you can remove the duct tape and replace it with a new duct tape, and it tells you how to put it on there. Um, and so, so that is the the artwork, right? Uh, in fact, as um, and the joke is that you're going to replace this fucking banana and duct tape for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Of course you would, because it's uh, it's worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I mean, shit. Um, 
<laughs> the real question is, at what point does the banana uh, cease to be a banana? And at what point does it become worth $120,000, I guess? Um, but uh, as, as an extension of this, while this was on display at the uh, at this art fair, um, it, first of all, it caused a lot of outrage. Um, and as a result of that outrage, it became one of the most it became the most famous piece at this art fair. And everybody in the world was like <laughs> piling in to look at this banana. Uh, but along the way, somebody went and ate the banana, <laughs> took the ball, <laughs> took, took, yeah, took the banana off the wall and bit a piece out of it. Right? Oh, um, yeah. And so. Imagine doing that to, uh, you know, a Van Gogh or something. Just I, I, if you've ever seen a Van Gogh, uh, it's almost tempting because they, they have like a really thick impasto, impasto to them. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and they just look like custard. And I always want to, you know, kind of lick a Van Gogh. But uh, <laughs> fan name called they, they, lick a Van yeah, Gogh. I'm just saying they keep those behind glass and I'm pretty sure For it's because people reason. want to lick them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, so the guy I'd didn't get alone in that. The, the guy didn't get arrested. Um, he claimed, the guy that ate the banana claimed that he was also p- performing a piece of art, art as well, um, which I think is kind of bullshit. Uh, and, but whatever, it, it, it's part of, in a lot of ways, I guess it would be part of the piece. Somebody else, um, as of, I think, this week uh, was just indicted or I, I, I can't remember. There's a, a, there's a ongoing court battle with another person that wrote, Epstein is not dead <laughs> on the banana piece, like or on the wall next to the banana. And that person, that person got arrested and is getting charged. But the guy that ate the banana uh, is not because they said that that was what the art the intention of the art piece was anyway. But <laughs> well, I mean, it's not about the banana. It's about the truth getting out. They yeah, don't yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> yep, that's probably it. Um, but yeah, so I. I guess I would start with why do you think so thinking about this piece of the uh, the comedian, um, what are your what are your thoughts on it? We'll, we'll get to other people's thoughts and stuff. But what are your thoughts just looking at it? Um, what do you think the meaning of it might be? Um, why do you think people get angry about it? Uh, any of these things might be interesting to talk about. Yeah. And I can um, give my thoughts, too. <laughs> so I specifically didn't look it up because I wanted um, my reaction to be genuine. I also yeah. haven't looked up um, one of the others that you have mentioned wanting to talk about. I haven't looked that one up either. Yeah. Um, but because I wanted, it sounded like it was going to be intense. Are you talking about the goldfish? <laughs> no, I have seen uh, that one before. Okay. But I, I don't know. I've, I I pride myself on on having an artistic mind, but uh, uh I'm yeah. at a loss. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sigh. That sigh uh, was, uh, was pretty great. <laughs> like, I've tried to, like, I don't know, I've tried to put some sort of, like, you know, everything eventually disintegrates and goes away. Yeah. You can, you know, maybe it's a critique of, of human life, you know, maybe it's one of those things where it's like, you know, one human will die and then another human will take its place. Mm-hmm. is that you know sort of the whole you will replace the banana one person gives birth to the next generation i don't fucking know jacob <laughs> no that's great that's great I don't know. and duct uh, tape fix anything yeah 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 so that's so one of the one of the reasons why i wanted to you know you had 
kind of initiated ideas for this podcast and I was like, ah, oh, let's do a modern art. Um, and it, a lot of it is like, I, I really wanted to do this one because I thought that it's really fascinating people's responses, uh, to, to conceptual art and contemporary art. Um, and a lot of it just has to do with how visceral a lot of the reactions yeah. are. Uh, a lot there of there are no like I because um, I posted a couple of links or whatever to yeah. some some pieces, and nobody commented with meh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly, it was yeah. they were all just visceral responses. Yeah, yeah. Very passionate and, responses. And and it's it's I mean passionate to the point of of people will commit vandalism right you know we're talking about this this piece on you know granted it's it just seems ridiculous it's a banana duct taped to a wall but even still like how would it's that a be? banana duct taped to a wall but it's, like, a, it, it's a banana duct taped to a wall but it's like somebody's possession and like you know that there's like yeah, walls and yeah. stuff like why would a banana duct taped to a wall and like inspire you to commit vandalism and to like you know damage something that you know is worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars even if it's ridiculous right and yet yeah. that's like the reaction to it and people were people weren't just like oh this is stupid i mean there were plenty of people that did that but people were mad and angry and this happens a lot with these kinds of pieces we'll talk probably about random uh, random other pieces that were you know paintings that were slashed because people mm-hmm. were angry that they weren't their definition of what art was and so yeah it, it invokes this kind of strong <sighs> this strong emotional response and i think that a lot of it maybe has to do with like how you know we think of art as sacred and something that's special right and uh and so when you have this idea of sorry to interrupt i think it's this concept of you have to i'm using air quotes here you have to have talent to be an artist i think that's the concept and when somebody sees a banana taped to a wall they don't think that any thought went into it or you know they don't they think oh this asshole just slapped a banana to a, a a wall um so it becomes this sort of you know, concept of, well, they worked their asses off and they actually did something. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, versus slapping a banana to a wall. Yeah, you often hear people talk about, uh, well, I could have done that, or my right, child, right, right. or my child could have done that. Right. And in a, and you know, it, it's very hard for me to talk about these things without inserting my opinions. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not. I myself am not being very objective, but, uh, because I can see, I can understand people's reaction to these things but i also kind of see the other side of it um i have a friend one of my sorry i was just gonna say i can see this this banana tape i can see it saying something and i can see it you know being a critique on something i can see that what i cannot see is one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. i'm there with you on that (laughs) you know like i think there's a fine line between you know okay yeah and no that that said it's it's probably worth the investment. Like if you if you were one of the the um, galleries that that managed to get this piece, um, and it's an official piece, people are going to come to see it. Like it's a famous piece now, right? Yeah, and, that's true. That is true. Okay, so it wasn't like an individual art collector. Uh, so there were there were I think my understanding is that there were five of them sold, and uh, I think all of them were galleries or okay. if it were so, right. so the way that the I the way that. that also, if it was a private, usually private. Um, it's not in somebody's owners. dining room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So people, okay. a lot that of times, even, 
even if it is purchased by an individual, a lot of times it won't reside in their own home. Oh, They'll no. lend it out to a um, to a museum, and you know it'll be on public display. Uh, there, there are some. I, I'll be the first to say that there's some serious issues with the art, the modern art mar- market, um, and how it's you. like. Okay, I uh, lost you. Let's see, it's not on my end. Okay. I lost you. Hello. Hey, there you are. Yeah. Okay. Bit... Okay. Um. Uh. Yeah. So okay, what I'm saying is, is that a lot of times, even if it's uh, even if it's a private collector, it's going to be in in displayed in a gallery. Um, art is kind of used as a commodity, uh, and so there's a lot of problems with the modern uh, or the contemporary art market and how it's used as just a way of kind of like funneling money around. Um, but that's really a different. In my mind, I keep that separate from the the value of the art itself or whatever. Um, one of the things that this makes me think of, we were talking about how, you know, oh, anybody could do this and anybody could tape a banana to a wall, but we didn't. That's the first thing. Um, but it makes God me think it. of <laughs> um, one of my one of my friends was studying. He's also a sociologist, was studying deviant aesthetics and was looking at glass blowers, um, okay. in particular people that were uh, making drug par- paraphernalia, but like high end, like bongs and stuff that were selling for, you know, four or $5,000, uh, or, or maybe I think even as much as like $10,000, like it was uh, very expensive pieces. And so he was interviewing them. And I actually went along with him, because uh, we at a time we were talking about doing a joint project together. But I I went along with him a to one of the joint oh, yeah. project. Ah, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were looking at doing a joint project together. Yeah. Yes, Professor Miller. <laughs> but I went along with him one day to talk cool about Oh yeah, yeah. That's valuable. Yeah. Valid. I mean Yeah, it's good some good input, Violet. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Continue. Yeah. Uh, but I went along with him to to actually talk to some of the glass blowers. And one of the things that really fascinated me was that there was I, I was in the, one of their shops and I found this piece of glass that was just it was absolutely beautiful. It was a very small pipe, um, but it was I can't it was like a very organic shape and it just had like thorns and stuff on it. It looked like some cross between like a plant of some sort or an insect. I don't know, but it, it just struck me as like aesthetically really beautiful it was a it was a nice piece and i was looking at it, i was like this is really great and then the glass blower came up and said oh no 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 that one's that one's super easy to make don't look at that one look this one is the one that's that's great because it, it's really hard to make and he was pointing at a uh, super mario brothers pipe <laughs> nice. and and like but it to me it encapsulated what was the difference between art and craft? Um, oh, yeah. Because w- what that project was on was on, it was about these glass blowers who were trying to get respect for their artwork. Um, they were trying because every, you know, they felt like they were being excluded because it, it had, you know, uses, it had like paraphernalia uses, but right. they were. But they were thinking these these are works of art and they should be understood as that. But when you talk to them, they didn't talk about their work as though it was an art. They talked about it as though it was a craft because what they were trying to tell me is that the value was located in the difficulty of making it. Right. So I make this. You know, Super Mario, not that I, you know, Super Mario Brothers is, it's beautiful in its own right, but uh, okay. like a, 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 
bong in the shape of Super Mario Brothers stuff. Maybe not the highest. I, I don't know. I don't want to lay a claim on that. But what was important is that he wasn't putting the emphasis on the aesthetic value of the piece. He was putting right. it on this was really hard to make. Yeah. Right? And art, interesting. art isn't about what's hard to make. It's about vision, right? And it's about ideas and thoughts. And so when we look at something like the comedian, you might you might the make a claim that yeah, you might make the claim that, well, this didn't have any thought in it either, uh, which maybe is the case. I, I don't know about that. But it's not about how easy it is to make. Um, you mentioned when we were talking about the history of modern art, you mentioned uh, Marcel Duchamp, who's one of my very favorite artists. And one of the big pieces that he has is called the um, the fountain, which yes. is just a urinal, yeah. right? And so what what that was is he was associated with this gallery that was doing a special show, and they were it was a really state of the art show, and they were like, we're gonna the the new rule for this gallery is that who whatever art comes in, we're going to show. We don't we're not going to you know, it's just whoever whatever you bring in here, we'll, we'll put it on display. And so Marcel Duchamp went and picked up a urinal from <laughs> just from like whatever you know, the Home Depot. Yeah, whatever the Home Depot equivalent was. He went and picked up a urinal, a plastic, you know, a, a porcelain urinal and brought it in and he wrote our mutt on it which was a, the artist's name i mean it, it was a made-up name but he mm -hmm. put that on as though it was a signature and that was the the art piece right and then of course the um the uh the gallery lost their shit because they were like we're we're not gonna put up with this crap right yeah. <laughs> um, all right i know we said we'd show anything yeah yeah but yeah not this but there's a there's a really great quote and i'm gonna try to remember it uh what was it it had to do with Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. He said that the reason for that piece was that he wanted to take this thing that was just a normal, ordinary aspect of daily life, but re uh, remove the useful significance from it. I think he said he's I think what he said exactly was he was going to to take this object and put it into a, a situation where the useful significance disappeared. And to me, I don't know, like we, we actually have uh, at the university that I, I work at, we have a, a copy of it. There's the original was destroyed because the gallery threw it out with the trash. Are you um, serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is... um, but there were, I think, 15 copies made and we have one of those at, at my university. And I... To be honest, like every time I think about it, it like gives me chills, <laughs> which seems ridiculous because it's just a urinal. Um, but the beauty of it is that what it was saying is that the the art was not in the piece, right? Mm -hmm. The art has nothing to do with the object. The art is in our minds. Um, and even when we're looking at a painting, Whoa, yeah, yeah, but like the artist doesn't even create the art the the viewer creates the art because when we interact with the object it's we're seeing its significance in our minds right mm -hmm. and so that that's what he was kind of saying with, with the with the urinal piece he called those ready-mades and he had a bunch of them of just random taking random things and placing them into weird contexts typically like gallery settings um and that's beautiful, like on so many levels. Because first, first, it's just neat that idea that art is in our heads and not in the on the things, right? It's not the thing that's important; it's our perception of it. Right. But the second thing about it is that why why is a urinal not beautiful, right? 
like it has it's a sculptural piece it has curves it has texture it was designed yeah it was it's a designed object and like why is it not beautiful and and it's not an accident that he picked a urinal what are the the associations that you have with urinals right like i've cleaned a men's restroom (laughs) oh god yeah yeah we both yeah at second of charles we (laughs) we have we have seen our fair share and they, let's just say they're not good. Yeah. 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 They're gross. They're associated. Men are gross. Yeah. 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 They're, to they're, be fair, so are women, but yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so it has all of these negative connotations, but also has things to do with hum- like being human. It's this bodily function. Right? Something so, that every human has in common. Yeah. And so it, it like the objects of our day-to-day lives they have all of these meanings attached to them. A, a urinal is just an object, and yet on this object we have like filth. You know, we we have this notion of filth, and we have this notion of unimportance. Like it's ridiculous that we would have a urinal in a gallery, right? Uh, it can't be beautiful because it's a nasty thing. And, like we have these connotations with it, and the connotations are are in the objects because we of the ways that we interact with them. And so what the fountain did is it told us that. What, and not only what the fountain did, but what art in general does is it causes it challenges us to look at the world differently. Right. And so, you know, we could have art that was just a representation, direct representation of everything. If every piece of art we had was just a, a, a perfect picture of the world around us, Still we could just fruit. yeah, we yeah, we could just use cameras for that. And that doesn't right. challenge us. It's easy. And, and that serves a place. Sometimes you just want a pretty picture. But a lot of times with art, you want it to do something to you. And you don't want it just to do something to you. You want it to challenge you to do something yourself, right? And and yeah. to think about it, right? And so, you know, when we when we think about these pieces, a lot of times what I do is I kind of ask myself, you know, okay, you go into it with the open mind that this might be something or it might actually just be bullshit. The artist might be a dickhead, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> always, always, but... I always ask myself, what do I think, what, what, A, what do I think that the artist is trying to get me to think about? Like, what is the challenging part to this? Um, what do, what are my initial reactions? And then also, what, what are the, is the imagery and meanings that come, that come to mind when I look at this piece, right? And so when we think about the comedian, we go back to the banana, like what are the meanings? We talked about a urinal having these like filth and bodily bodily functions and masculinity and all of these things tied into that, that, that object. What are, the, uh, what are the meanings that are attached to this piece? We have a banana, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and <laughs> as, as your dog just said, Bananas have a long history of, of meaning, right? right like right. they're slapstick. They're funny, right? We, you know, if you're playing Mario Kart, you throw it down and Donkey Kong's going to, you know, get fucked up by that, right? <laughs> get wrecked. We, and if you look at art history, which this piece is a part of, bananas have been like are a constant uh, symbol of masculinity because they're yeah. phallic, right? I was literally about to say, is it a symbol of fragile masculinity? Oh, you know? every, I mean, every- <laughs> Everything is a symbol of fragile masculinity. <laughs> yeah, like let's take this. Nope. King duct tape it on. God damn it. Yeah. I uh. Lost, I lost you for a second. Do you, do you hear me? Hello. 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 Hey. Hey. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember what I was saying. 
Something about fragile masculinity. Oh, God damn it. And it was going to be good, too. <laughs> um, no, I was just going to, you know, let's take this this image of of masculinity. We're going to fucking duct tape it to a wall and you're yeah. going to watch it rot. Yeah. You know, I mean. <laughs> See, that's powerful. That's some powerful shit. And I can guarantee you because this was a this was an artist. Or this is a male artist. So I guarantee that's not what he was getting at. But that's <laughs> that's a good interpretation. Right. Like that's yeah. a. a a powerful interpretation. Um, but thank I will say, you, thank yeah. you. I knew I'd get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and uh, bananas have been used a lot in feminist art uh, in, in like the past twenty years as exactly what you were saying is kind of a mockery of masculinity and a mockery of of like this, you know, penis fascination that mm-hmm. men seem to have. Right. <laughs> that actually. Um, that I won't I won't go too far into it, but that actually ties into uh, one of the pieces that I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I I do want to go I want to jump back what you're talking about um, art that elicits a response versus art that's just you know pretty and we have cameras for that. Yeah. And yeah. it makes me think of like Thomas Kincaid, not that he's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, the painter of light. The painter of light. <laughs> R.I.P. in peace. Um, uh. yeah, not that he's not super fucking talented, because I sure as shit couldn't do that, but, you know, <laughs> like, the, the response I get is, oh, pretty, yeah. you know, versus, um, the, the painting, I don't know if you're familiar, you're probably familiar with it, everybody is, um, the, the Kronos devouring his children. Oh, yes, Saturn, yeah, yeah Saturn devouring his children, Goya. Yeah. Um, so that one fucking elicits a response. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, yeah, he you painted- see that? Go ahead. He painted that on his bedroom wall, uh, and he, I, he, the uh, paints that he used to paint it um, had mercury or no, had lead in it. And he would lick the paints of uh, the tips of his paintbrushes, and he ended up going insane because yeah, of that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. This is called um, his black paintings. And then, um, are you also familiar with um, William Blake's Ancient of Days? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hands down, one of my favorite paintings of all time. Um, I'm obsessed with William Blake. Um, yeah, we can yeah, talk about really, that really later. Great. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, the Ancient of Days is one of my favorite pieces. You know, it's I always, not. A, I always makes me think of ZZ Top. That's. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but you know, the Ancient of Days, it's it's not um quite the reaction of you know. Um, Saturn devouring his children, but you know it makes me it makes me think. You know it makes me feel yeah. small in this universe. It makes me pensive. It makes me question things. Yeah, and it's um, very powerful. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's a very powerful piece. Um, and Thomas Kincaid is pretty. So you know <laughs> yeah. it, everything has its place. I don't necessarily want to hang up. Kronos eating his son in my living room. Yeah, I would yeah. paint it on my bedroom wall. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I might hang a Thomas. Kin- I'm not going to hang a Thomas Kincaid, but you know, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of this gets, so I always think of art as I think of some art as being easy and some art as being difficult. And I, I, it, it's, I think it's more useful to think about that than to think of, uh, try to classify things as good or bad because that gets into some really subjective stuff. Right, right. Um, but but easy not. I, I I what's funny is like I don't think about the construction of the piece as easy or difficult. I think about the 
the viewing of the piece as, as easy or difficult. And some things you look at and you immediately get what's there, right? And in, in some pieces, maybe there's not as much there, you know, and maybe there's a lot more. With Kincaid, I would say there's probably not that much there. It's a, it's just about looking pretty, which kind of right. gets back to, to our discussion about form over function. Like, I would say Thomas Kincaid is definitely function over form. If we think of the function of art as being decorative, right? Right, right. Then it's like, what's the purpose of of a Kincaid piece? It's to look pretty, right? Right. Um, and, and it does that and you're fine, right? Um, whereas something like, uh, if you're into um, some very, maybe, I, it's not even really conceptual, but there's an artist um, named Casimir, uh, what is this? Malevich, Casimir Malevich, um, who did a piece called the black square, which is just a painting. He was a suprematist uh, painter. Actually, oddly enough, I'm really into the suprematists these days. And I actually really, really love the black square, which is absurd because it literally is just a white canvas with a black square on it. But within the context of when it was, produced and kind of the ideas that are connected to it it's again it's just a really beautiful piece and it has it has value that's maybe not readily uh, apparent but yeah I don't know but I would say that that's maybe in some ways is more difficult to to understand or it's not even to understand but to more difficult to appreciate right um yeah, yeah I, I definitely did look up the black square, but I didn't look more into the meaning or anything. And it is just a black square. Yeah. It, does, and what, it, it doesn't confuse me as a, as much as the banana does. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So let's get back to the banana. So we, we talked about like the meanings of a banana. Right. First of all. So like this is what I would say to somebody that was a, that was approaching that piece for the first time. And there maybe their gut reaction was just to, to scoff it off. I don't necessarily encourage people. I, I wouldn't necessarily encourage them to like think that it's great or valuable. I would just go through the process of asking some questions. What what is what is maybe the intent of the person? Um, what are the meanings that are attached to it that we kind of already talked about? Um, but yeah, just that choice of a banana. Like if you're going to tape a piece of fruit to a wall and call it art, the banana is the best one. Right? <laughs> Because a banana is beautiful. Like, a banana changes in these really beautiful ways. Yeah, uh, you're not wrong. And it, it has a patina to it, right? It's going to get those black spots on it, and it's going to develop. It really cha- You put an apple, it's going to look roughly the same the entire time, right? Uh, yeah. But a banana... No, it has these sharp contrasts between the bright yellow and the brown and the black. And, like, oh, it's like the beautiful bruising that's on I there. I wonder right? if it started as green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See? Yeah, it's like this... It's this really like powerful, you know, journey of, man. of life. Yeah, journey. yeah. Which I know, I know it sounds ridiculous, but like, but get, I don't know. I've had just, enough yeah. fear that that is not sounding ridiculous. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like that, <laughs> I'm I, just drunk enough. I, one of the things that I always tell people when we talk about like contemporary or um, conceptual art is just like play along with it because the the artists themselves, it they're not trying to play a joke on you. And if there is a joke about it, they're in on the joke as well, right? right. They're, the artists know that it's funny. Like, it, again, it wasn't a mistake that he chose a banana. Like, it's intentional because it's supposed to be preposterous, but also has all of these other other things, right? So, yeah, it's got, um, you know, it's funny. It shows variation in the, bru- uh, the bruising and stuff. Um, and 
another thing that I just say is the actual aesthetic of it is it's really, really clean. If you if you don't think of it as just this joke on all of us, if you just look at this banana taped to a wall, it's and you look at it for just its aesthetic value, it's actually a really clean aesthetic. And what I mean by that is um think about think about the Apple logo right? Yeah. Uh, That's a beautiful work of design. And the reason why is it's very, very simple and very, very clean and very recognizable and very recognizable and reproducible. And it's iconic, right? And, and are you calling the banana taped to a wall iconic? I am. I absolutely am. And (laughs) and you can, (laughs) you can tell because if you, if you, uh, I, I don't know, but I imagine if you just do a Google search of that, you will see other people, like making fun of it and making their own. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there's all these other people. They're making their own copies of it. They're taping other things to the walls. There's even like a little Lego guy that's got it. There's like all of these different renditions of it. And like that in and of itself like shows what a clean concept this is right. that everybody can make these copies of it or make these re- like extensions of it. It's not even the same thing. They can make these plays on it and jokes on it and, and do it in all this variety and, and all of these different ways. And it has this, this shared meaning, which is, which is powerful. Like that's, that is a beautiful like icon, right? Uh, another thing that when I look at it, I always, when I look at it, I kind of see the Euro symbol. Cause if you think about the Euro symbol, it's like a curve. Like oh, a, yeah. Yeah. And so like, to me, I don't think that this is the intention of the artist, but like when I look at it, I think of that. And then it's like, oh yeah, it's money. Like this is because this piece is, it's, yeah, it is money, right? Like it's, it's, it's being sold and art is, is money. It is money. But um, money is money. It was, what about, um, would it be a reverse symbol of the hammer and sickle? Yeah, it could also be it could also be that. Yeah, it could be power like that, that that cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cross uh, like symbol of of the the hammer and sickle and stuff. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, Also, we might think of like the duct tape itself. Right. Like it could have been nailed to the wall and the nail would have meant something. Right. Mm -hmm. The nail would have carried meaning. But duct tape itself carries meaning because it's just it's as ordinary as you can get right yeah. there's a the common man and like you know you know i bet he okay this like i said i've had beer so yeah. um i'm wondering if he specifically didn't use nails because a nail would possibly nod to the christ figure yeah um, yeah exactly you know, maybe yeah, yeah. he thought about nail and he was like no yeah that you would know. venture too close to to easy like art references right yeah yeah people yeah. might be might be quicker to 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 believe that this is art if it was a nail but when you use something as common and ordinary as duct tape like he's he's intentionally making it hard for us to buy this as a piece of art and he does that through the the choice of tape and the three the the, yeah yeah so yeah i i think that's that's like all of these things are 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 really really fascinating um i guess we we can probably move, move on from this uh i i don't know um, where would you like to go to next? We could go um, to a different topic or, um, yeah, no, I just have a couple of pieces that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, and then I posted, I posted some links on my Facebook and kind of was just like, Hey, react, <laughs> um, you know, cause I was curious, but, um, one of the first ones I wanted to talk about, um, is Guernica by Picasso. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, or the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I've seen it in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is 
a um an instance of um so sort of art as a political statement um yeah yeah very and much so. it was painted during the spanish civil war and um the civil war lasted from 36 to 39 and um as as the name of the war says the spanish civil war you know, it was, they were against, or the, the country was at odds with each other. Um, and this was Picasso's reaction to the Nazi bombing of Guernica during the war. Um, so it kind of became a popular anti-war symbol. This is part of, um, this is part of Cubism. Yeah. And um, it actually toured the world and kind of brought the attention, uh, brought attention from the war to everybody's oh, Jesus Christ. It, <laughs> sorry, I just got like really sleepy all of a sudden. Yeah. We're gonna try that again. It brought attention from everyone to the war. Um, it didn't stop the war really, but it kind of um, brought everyone's um, focus over there. And there are two things I'm gonna Google it so that I have it in front of me. Um, I will say that. Um, it did elicit a very visceral response when uh-huh. I saw it. Um, it was odd because you're walking through the the um, through the museum, and it's not like completely silent in the museum, but it's it, there's not a lot of hullabaloo. But the room where Guernica was kept, it is silent. You stayed a certain distance back. There were guards, people. Like it was a yeah, very yeah. Um, there was a certain reverence that Guernica was given. You know, I saw mm-hmm. Dali paintings. I saw, you know, a variety of others. But when it came to Guernica, there was an unspoken reverence to it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because, you know, everyone knew knew the, the weight that it had. Um, and in the piece, if you're, for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, on on one side you've got a bull and then you've also got a horse and both of these are symbols of the Spanish culture and um, Picasso kind of said that the bull represented uh, brutality of um, the um, nationalist and then the horses kind of represented the people of Spain and the the horse he learned about the bombing through a newspaper and yeah. so the horse kind of has newsprint on him but this was this is a huge, huge piece in the way of of art as a political statement. And, I mean, there's just – we could sit here for hours and, yeah. and dissect this. But I just remember standing in front of this. And, like, I had learned – because I was a Spanish minor, and I had learned a lot about the Spanish Civil War. But for some reason, standing in front of Guernica really made it click for me because you just see the despair and the pain and – it's it yeah it was a really really emotional response so i can't honestly i can't imagine having seen this as a spanish citizen having mm-hmm. lived during the spanish civil war just the emotional impact that that yeah. was and it's like, fucking huge it's yeah, a yeah, huge yeah. painting like the picture that i'm looking at there's one two three four there's five men carrying it and i think it's like 25 feet long and 11 yeah, feet high yeah. Yeah, it's, like, there was a it's, whole it's, room dedicated to it. Its sheer presence is dominating. And oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's also, a, uh, you know, a statement is it's it is its presence is heavy and oppressive and dominating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this just as the more we talk about this, the more like I'm realizing, like, 
I will never be able to talk about all the things I would like to talk about. <laughs> it's just, we can have a part just, two. We, we, we might have to do that because this brought up to, brought to mind. So you were talking about like this piece was a political piece and art is a very power. Art is powerful. Mm-hmm. And when we especially I like specifically when we're talking about, you know, contemporary or conceptual art um, and the response to it, that ties into politics as well, because there is a connection between fascism and uh suppression of conceptual art um and it made me think of so during uh world war ii the nazis um intentionally tried to destroy all forms of uh conceptual art um and a a lot of the jewish art but also just uh even german like you know um uh, non-jewish art uh that was more conceptual they didn't they didn't like they they called it degenerate art and they even had a museum or a gallery where they showed a bunch of um Can conceptual you pause art that just a second yeah, yeah, my yeah. audacity crashed jesus <laughs> jacob yeah <laughs> we'll get through it yeah yeah no problem with the lo- with listen with the <laughs> lord jesus by our side yep that's what it'll do. A, amen, amen, and amen. Okay, I'm still reco- Fuck me sideways. My audacity crashed again. Jeez. <gasps> audacity recovered. All right, good, good. Uh, let me make sure audacity is recording. So where were we? Uh, I think I, I was... I had mentioned, I just wanted to bri- briefly touch on the idea or the fact that I was talking about how the Nazis actually had a gallery oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that they um, were showing or showcasing some of these these artists that were doing either Jewish artists or uh, uh, conceptual artists. And then they, they created an entire gallery with their artwork in it, but then made it like a laughing stock. And so they would put the, uh, they would put a lot of the canvases up on the walls without any frames, or they would put them crooked or sometimes upside down. Um, and then they would put like, you know, uh, panels next to them that would be like with information, but it'd be like making fun of what, what was actually showing. Um, and, and, you know, so it was a way of kind of, just saying that uh, the idea of degenerate art being that, you know, the, the look at these people, they can't even do good art and they would put right, it in right. contrast. They would put it in contrast to like very representational art. That was very um, hyper realistic. Um, again, focusing on this, like the technical aspects of yeah. uh, reproducing things. Um, and what's crazy you is can that you make see- anything look bad when you put it against a certain thing. Yeah, exactly. And we see this, we see this, see the same behavior today. Like that's, that continues to be the narrative that we have with modern, uh, modern and contemporary art. Uh, And you can see it. It's also attached to ideas of nationalism and a lot of these kind of uh, what I would consider problematic ideologies are, are still to this day connected to this. Like you can, you can see these same arguments, a lot of white nationalism, um associated with an obsession with uh classical artwork um well, i mean know, dating- you can see that even in like the confederate flag you yeah. know like this this it's it's all about this symbol you know i don't i wouldn't necessarily call it a piece of art but you know what i'm saying like yeah. you know there's a lot of yeah aesthetics yeah yeah there's a lot of passion behind this one you know image yeah um and it sort of ties them together uh, and, and a lot of uh, I think a lot of this this animosity towards um, 
modern art uh, in particular um, is that it a lot of it actually has ties to African art. And so there is a connection between modern art and African art because a lot of the design elements that we associate with modern art um, actually come from uh, um, African culture. Uh, there's some really, I, I had never really understood this. I had read about this, but I had never actually fully grasp it until I recently, like in the past couple of months, went to. Yeah, I don't the think muse- I realized it. Yeah, I went to the museum here, and I, and we have a really solid um, uh, gallery that's associate or that's uh, dedicated just to African art. And um, oh, I went in, and I, I I like having recently really gotten into modern aesthetics. I just I, I could see it. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is like I can see this. Like I can see the aesthetic ties between this art and then the stuff that we see in galleries today like this is very very similar it's the same ideas um so a lot of that was co-opted from uh african culture That's so interesting because like and i remember this is you know um going back to to my stay in spain or whatever this is not really modern art but um so morocco in northern africa and just all of mm-hmm. those um North African countries, there's a lot of the art that gets transferred to uh, southern Spain. So kind of going through going through some of the places and kind of seeing um, that North African um, art and color choice and stuff like that and uh, infrastructure there, you know, it's being able to pick that out and be like, oh, no, there it is. So I guess everything comes from out of Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are yeah. at least a lot, a lot of influence. A lot of right. influence comes from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I want to make sure that we touch on some of the the pieces that that you um, did did research on. Uh, yeah. I have a bunch. I have a bunch that we we can talk about. Um, but yeah, I want to make sure that we we cover we cover some of those. I kind of want to talk about um, some some different pieces that I found, um, and this one. I I don't remember who told me about it, but it's called Casting Off My Womb by Casey Jenkins. Yeah. And for 28 days, she rolled up a skein of yarn and inserted it into her vagina. And she knitted a a scarf from it. She used wool because it's natural. And um, she included her menstrual cycle because she said it wouldn't have been a performance if it didn't include her menstrual cycle. And that was one of the things that I posted on my Facebook and kind of was like, all right, everybody react. Yeah, Um, yeah. And several people were just like, no, none (laughs) of this. I'll have none of this. But, you know, I kind of, I kind of poked and prodded a few people. You know, I tried as best I could not to lead any answers. Um, yeah. You know, like if somebody, you know, commented with a very firm no, I tried not to be like, well, you don't like, you know, I tried to be like, okay, <laughs> what makes you uncomfortable? You know, what about it? And the the response that I got were, I got a couple of different responses. So uh, I'm going to look those up on my Facebook. Da, 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 da. Uh, so... One person said, I understand what she's saying about how people fear the vagina and she's trying to relate mm. it to something warm and fuzzy. 
um, and make it less scary. But I think by doing this performance piece, she's not making that statement very well. I'm not a big fan of performance art to begin with, but sometimes I think people do shock art just for the hell of it. I think she genuinely believes in her message, but all I see is a woman shoving some yarn in her crotch. And, you know, Casey said she was aiming to challenge the fear of female genitalia by associating it with knitting. Knitting is something, you know, we kind of see as safe. Our grandmothers knit. Our grandmothers don't shove yarn in their crotch. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if they they do, I'm not judging. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to yuck their yum. I'm not going to yuck their yum. But actually, okay, so as someone who crochets, um... She says that she wound it in such a way that it will pull from, that it will um, unwind from the inside, um, yeah. inside of the, the skein. And it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes you yeah. get a knot and sometimes yeah, you have yeah. to get, and sometimes you have to undo a knot. And so I'm sitting here thinking like, yeah. what happens I if crochet. you get the knot? <laughs> oh yeah. I, I crochet as well. So yeah. <laughs> okay, so I know like, the struggle. The struggle yeah, is real. Yeah. Like that's. Um, Yes, it's one of those things where you're like, yes, I found the center, the center string pull. I've got yeah. it. I'm gonna do. This. I don't. I don't. This is off the. You know, this is off topic. But I don't do the center string pull because I, I have so much. Because then when you get to the end, it all just collapses. I, I just yeah. go from the outside. <laughs> you're such a rebel. Um, yeah, it, it depends. Um, but yeah, no. So like, as someone um, who who knows the struggle of. Um, of the uh, of the yarn getting tangled, I can just imagine her sitting there just yanking at a knot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she said that because like, some people have asked her, and I like I guess I can kind of see why they would ask this, but I don't know why they asked if it hurt. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, well, probably not. And she even said, um, she said it's a robust area. <laughs> you know, she's like women squeeze That's, babies yeah, out. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a robust area. So, which kind of makes me think of, you know, when men are like, can you handle my five inch dick? You know, I think I got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so, um, and she equated, she equated knitting to something that was even boring. So I think, yeah. you know, so she said fear and repulsion of the female genitalia, you know, in contrast to the, the knitting that's even, that's dull and boring. And she said that when you when you think about the vulva, it's just a bit of body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about, uh, like, I have, um, I was a biology major. Yeah. And so when you think about the type of skin that makes up a vagina, mm-hmm. this is the second time we've talked about vaginas um, <laughs> and penises. So there yeah, you go. Yeah. Um, at least we're consistent. Um, when you think about like the type of skin that makes up a vagina and stuff like that, and you're like, well, what's the difference between, you know, the the vagina and like, you know, the inside of your mouth or, you know, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. it's just skin, you know, yeah. it's really yeah. just, a, it's like she said, it's just a bit of body. And um, one of my friends, I won't name her name, um, <laughs> but um, it's Susan. That's who it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. Damn you, Susan. No, but so we kind of, we kind of got to talking and she said, I have no issue with nudity and art or the female form, but I feel like there are other and better ways to celebrate it. I said, would you feel the same if perhaps she was just sitting there with an exposed vagina, no knitting? 
And she said, would I feel like it's still shock art if she was just sitting there not knitting just with her, her vagina out? She said, no, not really. And I said, I'm interested in the fact that it's the knitting that what yeah, takes yeah, it yeah, to the shocking yeah. and not the exposed vagina. But, and then I got to thinking, you know, so in art back in, you know, since the dawn of time, there are penises everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. You, you see the, the sculpture of David. I mean, there are breasts because that is that is femininity and motherhood and hips. But there are so few vulvas. Yeah. But there yeah. are dicks aplenty. Dicks yep. everywhere. <laughs> and I think that's so interesting that it is not uncommon to see a penis in art, you know, pre-1900. Like, it, it's, you know, dicks everywhere. Yeah. But... You, the vaginas are are just not there. Um, yeah, and especially something like like integrating like uh, menstrual uh, cycles right. and stuff like that. That's yeah. Yeah, and that's that's you know, and I I googled statues of nude women. Yeah, which was probably not a good thing to do, but I don't care. So I did <laughs> it, and it you know the ones it was mostly modern. Um, <laughs> you could tell they were you know, molded and cast in the last 50 years, they were all hypersexual. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it wasn't just David standing there in his masculinity. She's bent over with her back arched. You know, okay. and I think that's that's yeah. an interesting... I will say, uh, so this doesn't really tie in, but I ha- it's one of my very favorite art pieces. You should Google, um, she, uh, you can see the, the title of the piece is She Who Was Once the Helmet Maker's Beautiful Wife. Uh, but you could probably just search Helmet Maker's Wife. It's a piece by Rodin, who's my very favorite, probably my favorite artist, but he's a, my favorite sculptor for sure. Uh, let's see if that works. Helmet okay, I found it. Wife. Um, and, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so Rodin, one of my very favorite quotes of all time is he said, only that which has character is beautiful. Um, and he was obsessed with representing things as they are, which is kind of very different from what we're talking about. Uh, and he said that, you know, in art, we tend to fetishize like these these kind of made up depictions of things is that so many artists are trying to make things more beautiful than they, than they are in reality. And he said that, um, a, a good painter will, you know, make, make a person look beautiful. A, um, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said like a master painter will show people exactly how they are with all of their, you know, inherent ugliness or whatever, and make you see the beauty in that. Like, um, and so, yeah, the, she who was once the helmet maker's beautiful wife was is a sculpture of um, an, a very uh, like an older kind of decrepit woman. Um, Super, it's just beautiful. Yeah. 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 No, it's yeah, that's that's interesting. And I mean, I definitely saw, um, you know, sculptures of women, but any of any sculptures that specifically um, had the vagina or the vulva yeah. were um vulgar vulgar in nature and i use that term you know loosely um what is vulgarity we'll get to that later you know but they were all um you know she's bent over in a sexual manner but you know david's not Um, yeah yeah exactly yeah you know so i i wrote down um penis okay breasts okay vulva you know 
Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the long and short of it. And it reminded me of um, the I saw a post and you may have seen it circulating. It was a um, a psychology teacher that kept everything boys ever drew dicks on. And, you know, she brought <laughs> oh, them to amazing. the Yeah, she brought them to the front of the class and she was like, Why do you draw dicks on everything? And they say, Well, it's just funny. And she's like, Do you want us to draw vaginas on everything? You know, and they're like, No. And she's like, Well, how do you think we feel? You know, just dicks everywhere. Yeah. Um, but that was the one and like I said, she definitely um she definitely included her menstrual blood, but I think, you know, because she said her aim was to make the vagina, quote-unquote, less scary, but I think there is something even more beautiful to that, because the title of it is Casting Off My Womb, and yeah. I think when you when you really think about it, and it's specific, you know, specifically 28 days is the average cycle of a woman's period, mm-hmm. um, or her, you know, her ovulation and all that, so yeah. when you think about it, there is something beautiful to be said about almost everything, well everything essentially was created from woman's womb yeah you know and and so i think if people just sat and i understand there is a shock value to it and it's not for everybody everybody but i think if you just sit there and look and think about the fact that you were knitted in your mother's womb i think i think there's something to be said about it you know you've got to make it less scary you've got to make it more taboo because we are basically just crotch scarves from our mother's womb you know yeah, yeah. I mean, very, very well stated yeah yeah thank you um, yeah so so we're like, all crotch uh, scarves <laughs> so yeah i you know as i was talking about earlier when we were talking about the previous pieces um i said you know really there's there's a cup there's a several things that are important with art and are, are good ways to like first approach a piece of artwork and so one is to think about the process uh, another is to think about the materials and a third is to think about the context. And so, yeah, with this piece, like if we start thinking about the process, so what is she doing? She's crocheting and we know that crocheting has connotations well, with she's femininity. She's knitting, Jacob. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Oops. Well, I, you I'm should a cro- know the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not, I wasn't. I wasn't looking at the piece or whatever <laughs> at the moment. So, as, but, uh, as a crocheter, I, I'm with Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so like knitting has this connotation of femininity. Uh, It also has this connotation of production and creation and, Mm -hmm. and uh, all, you know, all of these things it has. Yeah. And you mentioned like the fuzzy, the fuzziness of, of uh, uh, knitting and all of these, the materials. Again, we, we talked about, you talked about it being like this natural material. Right. Um, uh, Also just the fact, like it's specifically, it's this material that's going to suck, uh, to soak up, um menstrual blood right yeah, and like yeah. so like that has uh that materials matter also like you know like bot like the the body like part of that is very visceral and yeah. has again like we're we're obsessed with cleanliness and stuff like that and so any anytime something is in any way either insinuating body fluids or associated with body fluids like that is a visceral it gives people a visceral yeah. reaction and then lastly the the context of it you you've used a number of words to kind of talk about this you talked about it celebrating uh the female body uh you talk about shock value and you talked about it being scary or not scary and all, all of these things i thought were really interesting um in in association with this piece um because like you know 
I, I think part of it is is celebrating, you know, women's experiences and like um, and also just like the the create. Uh, yeah, like you said, like there's so there's so much symbology in this. Oh, piece, yeah, yeah. Right. But at the same time, within the context, it is it is kind of it, it, it it's simultaneously trying to present this as completely normal. But in doing so, it's also kind of an aggressive piece. Right. Yeah. Because it's it's pushing back against our yeah. social norms and saying, fuck you. Look yeah. at this. Right. Yeah. Like and, yeah. and that has like that context matters. Right. That's part yeah. of the message is. Yeah, it's it's not just about shocking you. It's about it's obstinately doing this. And if you're shocked, it's your problem, right? Yeah, it's well, not my the... problem. It's your problem that you're shocked. And and yeah. I think that that's different from a lot of shock. A lot of shock art, I do think, is like, okay, what can I do to like shock people, right? Mm-hmm. But this piece in particular, I think it's a challenge. Like it, it's saying you shouldn't be shocked by this, like. Get over it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think also, you know, it has something to say with, you know, if you are um, shocked and offended, why are you shocked and offended? Yeah, um, yeah, you know, and because I definitely asked people, why are you uncomfortable? And it, and um, the, I'll, I'm going to go on to the next one and then I'll circle back. Uh, I got ahead of myself. So the next one, you were talking about the process. You said that earlier. Um, A different one was a a Chilean woman. She collected her menstrual blood um, on cloth. She was not able to wear um, conventional pads or tampons because she had an allergy. So she had to do um, a, like an all natural um, reusable rag. Um, And so, but she collected them and she put them in an embroidery hoop and she um, embroidered different phrases on them, like um, to form or to discard or production or destroyed. So everyone had a different word on it. Um, Yeah, she put it in an embroidery hoop and she hung it from the ceiling and she hung it next to apples. And the apples represented ovulation. Um, And I do want to say that apparently people are fucking weird and they smelled it. Or they tried to smell it. Um, but I just want everyone to know that she did disinfect it beforehand. <laughs> yeah. um, and there was no smell. And that seemed to be um, the whole disinfection thing. That seemed to be the one thing that people had the biggest problem with. Is that it was a bodily fluid. And yeah. I managed. Well, I don't want to say I managed. But like through through a discourse people admitted that they didn't have a problem with it as long as it was safely done or, um, you know, as long as there, there's no possibility of other people getting, um, a disease or something. And that I can completely respect, you know, as somebody with a biology background, no, I, I get it fluid. You don't want to fuck with bodily fluid. Um, you know, and I asked people about, um, you know, semen and urine. Do you feel the same about that? And, you know, everybody was like, yeah, I don't really like, um, quote unquote, art with bodily fluids. It yeah. seems gross to me. And I was like, you know, I can kind of get that. And one thing that this the woman said is she said male blood is celebrated for being brave yeah. while yeah. ours is a shame. Sacrifice. And I'm like, that is that is absolutely so true. You know, because if a if a man gets wounded in battle, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or not amazing, but you know, it's he's brave. He he has a scar. He's cool. He's manly. But you know, the the difference between 
blood that comes out of or menstrual blood and blood from a wound is is the origin you know and i wrote down um and now i'm gonna say this phrase and i don't mean that much offense by it yeah and i'm using i'm using men and women but I know there's a broader spectrum here. Um, I said, men will stick their faces in a vagina and men will not flinch at the sight of blood. But the moment the blood comes out of a vagina, (laughs) it's over. And that's that's like, and you know, it's, it's so weird to think about the fact that, you know, in a sexual context, a, a, a man will get all up in a vagina and, yeah, yeah. you know, if a a man cuts his arm or something like that, he's not like, ew, it's blood. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the concept of period blood is disgusting. And I'm like, well, you yeah. don't find vaginas disgusting. Yeah. And yeah. you don't find blood disgusting, but menstrual blood is disgusting. Why? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's not dirty. You know, if, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you know, if you're vagina's dirty that's one th- you know but yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's that's one concept that i found su- supremely interesting is that you know vagina's not gross blood not gross menstrual blood gross yeah, yeah um and that was kind of the the reaction one one of my friends that's a crafter she crochets, crochets as well mm-hmm. um she's the one that immediately just said nope and yeah. you know, I was like, what, "What makes you uncomfortable?" And for her, she said, uh, "I support the artistic expression, but the thought of sticking something in me like that makes me uncomfortable." Namely, I don't, I don't know if you've ever crocheted with wool, but yeah, 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 um, that doesn't sound great. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that too. I was like, "You couldn't have picked a softer, like a softer yeah, yeah. yarn." But, you know, she's like, I know if I crochet with wool, I get a uh, a friction blister, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, I thought about that because I'm like, oh, my God. You know, she would have to make sure that she that's that's, you know, the the <laughs> the how she did that is different. But, you know, that was that was one thing is she said she was just uncomfortable with um, kind of the the physical aspect of shoving wool into her her crotch but a lot of people kind of kind of said you know it's kind of gross but um i support it and it seems that they're it seems that their hesitance was with any um bodily fluid which i think is acceptable yeah you know one guy i thought i was gonna have to like come through my phone and murder he said something about it being unsanitary and i wanted to make sure before i killed him i wanted to make sure what he thought excuse me what he thought was unsanitary because i was like if he's about to call a vagina unsanitary (laughs) i'm coming at him but he was talking about just like sticking something in external inside of a body um so yeah it, it was I don't know if I just happen to have supremely liberal friends. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that that, yeah, that might play into it because. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I, I would I, say like yeah. the average person's response would probably be less, uh, less welcoming or whatever, or less understanding. So. Yeah, there's there's and, uh, also a famous. <laughs> this also made me th- what the things that you were talking about uh, also made me think. There's a famous piece um, called probably one of the first of like these shock art kind of things associated with bodily fluids was there's a piece called artist's shit that was, okay, uh, that which we don't, 
we don't actually know if this is the case, but uh, purportedly it's by this uh, guy named uh, Manzoni, Piero. Uh, Piero. Shit. Yeah, I think it's Piero Manzoni, if I remember correctly. Um, okay. And uh, purportedly he just got like a can and yeah took a dump yeah, see, that's... <laughs> um and and sold them and like that's yeah see is again it weird? not something that i would necessarily want uh but it doesn't inspire anger uh at me and i can i can understand like because again one of the things was that it it was it, it <laughs> i know this sounds like just horseshit but it was exploring the idea of like what like an artist creating something and like like the the kind of sacred act of of creation and like how like challenging that but also reifying it uh i don't know i don't know i like i feel i don't know i don't know i don't know (laughs) feces is one that kind of makes me uncomfortable yeah Um, yeah, yeah. just because feces is is inherently dirty what I find fascinating about this piece is that they don't actually know if there is feces in it because it's closed. It's Crack sealed. it open. Yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, need answers. I, I do. I do think that there was one one because there were several of these, and yeah. uh, I think one of them was leaking at some point. But I. Oh, oh no. <laughs> uh, but I don't know the full story about it. I should look. Yeah. I should read read up on that. But. Oh. Um, one of my friends messaged me and she said that um, she talked about it with her husband and um, she said, I'm not ashamed. This is talk going back to the, the knitting. She yeah. said, um, I'm not ashamed of my period. So I don't feel like anybody else should be. Um, and as far as her husband goes, um, she said, or he said, the only thing that even crosses his mind when talking about this stuff is as long as it's displayed in a safe way, it's fine. Yeah. Um, bodily functions don't bother him. And then she brought up a really good thing, um, sex painting. Um, that's not yeah. really a modern art, but I think you um, just kind of have sex on canvases. But yeah, she she kind of said what kind of what I was talking about. You know, as long as it's safe, there's no you know. And I do think that there always should be a degree of of um, caution with any bodily fluid. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd also I do want to talk about the fish in blenders. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Helena, Helena, I think is what yes, it's called. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that one. Oh yeah, makes, El Pascador is the. It's got two names, so yeah. Or yeah, maybe that it's one. That makes me supremely uncomfortable. Oh, it does me too, but for like multiple reasons. I actually yeah. really, really, I think that I don't. I don't want to say that I like this piece because it. I have problems with it, but. I love I, it's it. It's very, and I very, very it. power. Yeah, exactly. It's very, very powerful. So, uh, yeah. can you can you explain uh, what what this piece is? Yeah. So essentially, um, it's I think it's ten blenders, and they are plugged up, and you know, access to power, and they have live goldfish and water in them. So, uh, it's 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 goldfish and blenders. Yeah. But you know, and I think there there's a critique on. Um, I, th- I read an article and it was talking about morality and art. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. morality is something that moral morals, there's a scale. We all know yeah. that there's a scale of morals, but you know, and it's kind of off topic, the whole concept of how does an atheist have morals? And I'm yeah. like, well, I think, yeah. I think we all know, like, you know, we all know yeah. that there are certain things you don't fucking do. 
and I think this is this is one of those things. And you know, we all we all know killing is bad. We don't and need this. This artist has actually faced charges um, uh, of animal cruelty because of this piece. So, is yeah. there, he, but but he actually didn't get into any problem. He didn't get I into know. any trouble afterwards because he didn't actually do anything. Yeah. directly to harm to harm the the fish uh and i think that like that's really the the power of this piece and i think that it's a very I very hate that this piece is so powerful i i, I think it. <laughs> it like legitimately fills me with a lot of sadness yes um and it's it's sadness not about the, i mean like i you know it sucks I, like for the fish <laughs> but yeah. it's it's for me it's sadness about humanity because there is a certain inevitability about this. And we know that if you were to take fish and put them in a blender and set them out, there is no reason that any harm should happen to those fish. And yet we all know that those fish are going to get blended, right? We know that that's going to happen. Because people are garbage. Because people fucking suck, right? Yeah. And if they have that button there that they can cause destruction and cause harm and, and do that, somebody's going to fucking do it. Oh, and yeah. then what, what strikes me and like, really, really, I cannot express how deeply this, in, this piece impacts me is that it is such a perfect metaphor for our society because oh, guess God. what? We, that's, that's we what have, say. Yeah. we have, we have so many fucking buttons. I'm sorry. I'm cussing a lot, but yeah, we have so yeah, many but... buttons. Um, I've been in social isolation for two weeks and, uh, <laughs> and on the job market, I literally got three rejection letters in the mail or not in the mail through my email box, uh, today. So, uh, I was going to say, do be... the mail. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but, uh, yeah, like we, like, you know, it, it, if there's a button there that can cause harm and cause destruction, people will press it. And there are so many buttons in our society, right? <laughs> we have buttons to launch nuclear missiles. We have buttons to 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 launch hate and hate speech online. And we have buttons that, yeah. you know, and, and, and the people that are have access to these buttons are the worst of us. Um, I think it's and, also interesting that so... I think there's a difference in pushing a button when you can't see the person that you're causing harm to taking the face away from it versus looking at the goldfish and pressing the button. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, cause I think the, um, the article I read said that the dude, it was supposed to be a critique on, um, humans dominion over animals, but I think it's fucking society, other humans, you know, cause I mean, well, we can just as easily go ahead. And an an important uh, component of it was that the media, the the role of media in in that piece is that you got. Oh yeah, they were pushing people to do it. Yeah, yeah, they were encouraging people to do it so that they could create a story. They're garbage too. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like, and so, like, again, like, I in no way support cruelty. Even to like goldfish, like I mean, yeah, goldfish, no, we it, can all agree are shitheads anyway. Like fuck, <laughs> fuck goldfish, right? Um, but, <laughs> but I in no way. Uh, the views expressed support. in this podcast do not. Uh, <laughs> Just saying, big fish reflect. has been getting us down for a long time. Yeah, um, yeah, man, big fish. But um, uh, yeah, I in no way support cruelty to any any animals. Um, and yet this this piece does so much. Like it is yeah. so powerful and says so much right (laughs) yeah it's like yeah it's it's you know one of those things where we talked about you know a fucking banana taped to a wall and you know on the complete opposite end of the spectrum you've got 
this piece where we, you know, th- there is no end of things that we can, you know, discuss with you know, or the meaning of, um, you know. Yeah. And, and and again, like the the art itself wasn't hard to do. Like, no. you know, like, uh, yeah, well, and you no, don't know anybody could do like, it. Oh yeah. My, my, my child could do that. Like, eh, well, <laughs> you might want to take your child. Uh, take your child to therapy because <laughs> but, uh, well, I think uh, one of my friends, Kyle, he, he actually talked on, or he um, commented on the whole like concept of fascism in modern art and stuff like that. Yeah. But when I was talking about the, uh, the casting off my womb and the Chilean woman that can't, that, collected her menstrual blood um you know he made the comment he said well i can't do this so that kind of takes away the quote-unquote anybody can do this and you know um my friend anita she was like well i couldn't do it so you know i definitely think there is a level of quote-unquote anybody can do it versus not everybody can do i sure as fuck could not sit in front of people and shove a skein of yarn in oh, my yeah, kitty yeah. and crochet from it. <laughs> knitting knitting makes me like knitting irritates me to begin yeah. with. So I yeah. know I couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. And and crocheting takes a lot of yarn. So there would be a lot of <laughs> That's that comes with its own set yeah, of problems. That was a yeah, that was a long scarf. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, so I mean like this this does um and even the even the delay the uh displaying of menstrual blood it takes and, and you know what I'm saying it takes fucking balls to do that. Yeah. You know, I mean yeah, yeah. not everybody can can be so so vulnerable because you know women for so long were told you know this is shameful you have to hide this and i get that it's bodily fluid and i get that it's gross but if we are ever going to get past the stigma of you know it being gross then you know you're gonna have to have women like this who are willing to to be on the front lines and and bleed onto a rag and and put it in a room and hang it up. Um, I said she hung it up with apples. Did I say that the apples represented ovulation? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the apples though. Yeah. If that uh, again, doesn't... apples. Apples are also a big, uh, a, a big cultural symbol in art throughout history, uh, representing various things from the Bible and right. Adam and well, Eve that's... to uh, fertility and uh, you know all kinds well, of things. De- yeah. I definitely wanted to talk about because as soon as I saw that it was apples, my first thought was this whole concept of the punishment mm-hmm. and how you yeah. have, you know, the concept of a period as a punishment right next to an apple. Like that was powerful to me because I, I mean, we, I think you and I agree that whole thing, that concept of the apple and punishment is bullshit. Oh yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, so no, I'm I, actually, uh, you know, it's <laughs> probably, uh, probably checks out. Actually, yeah, checks no, yeah, out. that checks out. Yeah, uh, Jacob is a Sunday school teacher, <laughs> um, and uh, but uh, yeah, as you can no, tell I from mean, my colorful language. Right, right, right. But but yeah, so I mean, like this this um, sort of putting these two things together, the apple, the quote unquote original fall, ovulation, menstrual blood, like that to me was pretty powerful. I don't know if it registered more heavily on me because I am a period haver and I did grow up in a super religious household 
or if I just, you know, have an artistic brain. I don't know. Because I kind of asked, I talked to my husband about it, you know, and um, I was like, what are your thoughts? And he goes, I don't think it's for me. He says, I see where women would relate with it more. Yeah, he was yeah, like, yeah. but, you know, I, I think he's he's like, I'm not going to say, oh, that's gross or whatever. Yeah. But to me, it really uh, resonated. But, I, you know, I don't think you have a period, so I don't know how it could resonate for you. Did, did you grow up religious? Um, Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of left that in middle school. I started reading philosophy and stuff. I was a pretentious yeah. kid. <laughs> you? pretentious <laughs> um yeah yeah but yeah i was gonna say i think as long as i've known you you've been pretty um, yeah yeah but yeah so I, I think i was still a believer when i first met you and i mm-hmm. think I believe so too. Yeah. yeah i was a, yeah um so you know growing up in that whole whole concept and now now being on the other side of it i'm wondering what i would have thought of this piece had i seen yeah, it yeah 15 yeah. years ago you know, I mean, you were in middle school when you were still a Christian, you know, when you still believe. Yeah. So yeah. It's a little, it would be a little different. But And, and I, I will say that um, if there are people that are religious that are potentially listening to this, um, I, I would highly recommend uh, Sister. Um, oh, what is her name? I'm going to I'm going to Google something really quick. Sister Wendy, uh, Sister Wendy Beckett. Um, is what was she's passed away uh, I think just actually just a year or two ago um, but she was a, uh, a a nun who studied art and art history and did a series for the PBS where she she talked through the history of art and um, did she did some commentaries on uh, modern art and various other things and is really really good and it's neat to see a um, a religious uh, person's approach to a lot of these pieces that in a lot of ways might be seen as offensive. Um, And she has a really, really nuanced critique of them. And I think that it's really worth looking into. Uh, She actually, there's a, on YouTube, you can find a video where it's, it's her uh, talking about a piece by um, Andre Serrano uh, called the piss Christ, which is a, I literally just looked that up. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) which is a, a, a really famous piece that is a depiction of a crucifix um, in a jar of piss. And actually, when I was my second year of college, first year of college, I don't even recall um, specifically, I took an art course. I like course. your shirt, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You my, just uh, <laughs> a, a feminist uh, <laughs> feminism shirt. Yeah, uh, I way, took it. My a, sister-in-law just had my niece. And uh-huh. I'm so excited about all of the feminist ones. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, so I I took a course and one they there was a graduate student that was uh, like visiting or something and was and was talking about. Um, she was an art student or whatever, and she talked about the piss Christ and like had like the most boring take on it. Like, I can't believe what they what they call that art, like, you know, yeah. whatever. And I remember at the time just being like, the purpose of art is to make you feel something and make you think about something. Yeah. And like, even even if you're religious and like, may, like I could 
I could imagine being religious and still finding meaning in the piss Christ about like, maybe it's a commentary on how we as a society deal with religion. And maybe like we're pissing on the ideals of Jesus and like, you know, you know, through, through our actions, we represent it. Or you could look at it, the, the piece, I, I will say this. So it's a photograph of a, a crucifix in a um, jar of urine and it, but it, I, it is beautiful. It's a stunning picture. I was literally picture. about yeah, yeah. to say it is a stunning fucking picture. Yeah, it is really, 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 really great. And like, uh, just aesthetically, I think that it has a, a lot of value. But, um, but the also, lighting the, is yeah, is yeah, phenomenal. Also, I, he really needs to drink water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> He's being um, dehydrated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, but then symbolically, it has so many interpretations as well. Uh, but there's a really good piece of uh, with uh, S- Sister Wendy talking about the Piss Christ and like debating it with people that are like have all of these negative uh, interpretations of it. And we talked earlier about people's visceral responses to art uh, and also art vandalism. And this is one of the pieces that um, somebody attacked it with a hammer uh and tried to destroy it um they did some damage but i think it's been repaired since but uh this is one that they were worried like has been people have attempted to destroy it numerous times because they're so offended by it um Um, i pulled it up on wikipedia because we know wikipedia is a super reliable source Um, it is it's pretty good okay so i support wikipedia I've always said I had a uh, I had a professor in college that said that we could use Wikipedia, and yeah. I was like, uh, maybe yeah. conversationally, yeah, I don't yeah. know that I would. <laughs> um, uh, what what I tell my students is it's fine to start it's fine to start with Wikipedia, and if yeah. you're getting if you're getting into a topic that you don't maybe know a lot about, that's a good place to start, and then that'll teach you like the language and the words to look for when you're looking at more reliable sources. <laughs> but please don't ever cite. Wikipedia. Yeah, no, don't do that. Um, yeah. Okay, but I'm about to cite Wikipedia. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a quote from uh, Serrano, and it said, I had no idea Piss Christ would get the attention it did, since I meant neither blasphemy nor offense by it. I've been a Catholic all my life, so I, so I am a follower of Christ. But how do you not know that yeah. submerging a crucifix in piss would get that reaction? How did you not know? Yeah, yeah. I feel like if you don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think you're, you're right. I think that's a little bit unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. You knew. Um, so you probably know a little bit more about it than me. So what, do you know what kind of the purpose was or does it, does it even say? Uh, I mean, I, I, I would say that I don't know if he I, I don't know that I've read anything about like him explicitly saying what the purpose is. Usually with art, the best thing is for the artist to shut shut up once they produce uh, yeah, it and allow that. us to allow us to kind of um, interpret it. Uh, and so like the object itself, again, the object itself is not what carries meaning. It's our reaction to yeah. it and our interaction. I just with thought it. the P was a cool filter, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, it works. It, like, yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. But I mean, I, there's no way that like, again, piss has such a negative connotation, which in and of itself is ridiculous, but it, oh, hey, Loki. <laughs> well, the fact, oh, <laughs> um, the fact. Hey there. It's, it's you this time. You yeah, just have yeah. the one cat, right? Yeah. 
but um, it's interesting that you know his choose his his choose his choice of word piss instead of you know your you're yeah. in Christ. Yeah. Oh yep, my God, yep. you get it. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, his his choice of word is. I said it again. His choice of word. Choose of his, words. That's his choice of word is definitely. Um, he clearly picked the word that yeah. was a little harsher. Mm-hmm. You know. I think I'm gonna. I'm he, gonna have to take a, a, a. I'm gonna have to really take a quick break here and go put her food out because she's. It's, it's uh, food time, and she's yeah, not go, going go to for leave. It. <laughs> yeah, I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Come on, Kitty. It's your favorite time of the day. Okay. Um, it's funny <laughs> because um, I've had um, so my neighbor's husband works for Panera, uh-huh. and usually they uh, the leftover bread. I think she said that they donate it, but I think with this whole thing, um, she wound up coming home, or he wound up coming home with copious amounts of bread. And so she gave us a ton of bread bowls. So I had soup in bread bowls for a couple of days. And every time I would open a can of soup, my cats would come running. And I'm like, do you think you're about to get wet <laughs> yeah. food? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, am I going to have to give you wet food every time I have soup? So, um, but I think, I think that's all I've got. Oh, yeah. Um, somebody said, uh, actually, my best friend Christina commented on, um, my post and she says weird but i support it so that was kind of the you know i i get it it's it's fluids yeah 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 fair enough fair enough yeah yeah i guess um i guess that largely covers everything that i mainly wanted to talk about i will mention just um a couple more pieces that i would encourage people to to look into because i think that they're uh, really really great uh we talked about um about vandalism of art and one of the famous yeah. pieces of that is a piece called who's afraid of red yellow and blue number three um and this was a piece by the artist barnett newman uh that was in amsterdam and one day uh a guy just went in with a box cutter and slashed it uh because uh, again because he hated um modern art and uh didn't like the art style that it was like he, he wanted, he was a represent and he was an artist. The guy that destroyed the piece was an artist. Uh, and there's some really, really interesting, uh, you should, I would encourage people just to, to go onto Wikipedia. I think that there's a, a 99% invisible podcast. If I remember correctly, that's about this piece. Um, uh, it's really just a fascinating story behind it because they, they tried to repair it. But when you look at repairing, um, when you look at repairing modern art, a lot of times it's the most difficult to repair yeah. uh, for various reasons, partly because of the simplicity of it, but also um, also the materials that they use. Uh, but this this piece is really interesting because they uh, it when we look at a lot of these modern art pieces, we um, we tend to think of them as being really, really easy. Like, oh, it's just a, it's just a red canvas. Uh, so who's afraid of red, yellow, and blue is like largely a red canvas with like just a yellow, a very slim yellow strip on it and a very slim uh, uh, blue strip on it, right? But it's primarily just a red canvas. Canvases are fucking expensive. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but they, the guy that fixed it largely just painted over it with the same color of red. But what we don't realize is that 
these things that are that are like solid color canvases, they are actually a technique. Like the, the artists spend years developing techniques to give those canvases certain luminous properties or, or have some certain effect. And so they this the person that was re, quote unquote restoring it just covered it up with red paint. And when they put it back up, everybody was like, this is not the same. Right? Yeah. And then when they looked at it, it was no longer it was no longer good because it didn't have the impact that it had because the the technique was different. Um, That's so and people could tell the difference. Um, it's just a fucking red canvas, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I would encourage people to look into that because it's a, it's a really fascinating story. Um, other other things that are worth looking into, uh, may, I mean, you know, like the famous pieces, uh, like Jackson Pollock and Rothko, and all all of those things. I, w- I would encourage people to look into the Black Square that we talked about uh, and the stories behind um, uh, the uh, uh, suprematist movement. Um, yeah, and that's speaking of Pollock. There was a woman yep. that I saw. I didn't I didn't choose this one, but um, she stood on um, kind of like a, a sawhorse kind of thing so she stood uh-huh. with one leg on each side of a canvas and inserted um balloons filled with paint into her vagina and like squeezed them out onto the canvas yeah so i wonder if that was kabuda uh there's a there was an artist named uh shigiko kabuda that, maybe that uh, is is famous for inserting uh brushes into her vagina and then like oh. painting painting with those brushes um i could see inserting brushes but i don't know that i could insert toxic paint into my vagina yeah yeah i would probably pass uh, had i a vagina i would probably pass on on uh toxic balloons that's uh yeah but you know who knows thanks for offering (laughs) but yeah i guess in 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 closing i would just say that um it's it's fine to not like art like that's fine there's i there's so much art like I, I cannot stand uh, uh, Norman Rockwell, right? I don't, I don't uh, like yeah. it. Uh, like, and I don't like. There's a lot of like uh, pastoral art and stuff that I just cannot stand. There's a, probably more art that I don't like than art that I do like. But what I would say is that uh, give it, give it a chance, and uh, allow yourself to give think about it. Give art a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And because even something as stupid as a banana taped to a wall. <laughs> it your interaction with it can be you can you can find beauty in it and i ultimately i would say that had i the choice to live in a world where the uh the comedian uh, or comedian the 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 banana taped to a wall if i had the choice to live in a world with that versus living in a world where that wasn't ever taped to a wall i choose the one where there was a banana taped to a wall it's given us something to talk about it's It's given us something to think to think about and it's caused me to think about the world and about myself and my place in that world and that's a beautiful thing and so who cares what the intention of the artist was and who cares about any of this i want a world where people are expressing themselves creatively and uh we have all these things to talk about makes things more interesting yeah, I think, you know, if you find a piece of art that you hate, ask yourself why. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, like, I think, because that's, you know, what I what I did when somebody said that the the, um, the menstrual blood made them uncomfortable. Why does it make yeah. you uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. You know, if you see, and I mean, I'm not talking about why does Thomas Kincaid make you uncomfortable. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, don't just stop at, I don't like that. You know, you're never going to grow as a person. Unless you kind of, well, why don't I like it? You know, what's, what, 
what is preventing me from liking it? And you don't even have to like enjoy it aesthetically to love it. Like I love yeah. the um the Helena piece. Fucking yeah. love it. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. Fucking hate it. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. so it's it's yeah. that sort of you know, you can you can equally it love and hate. It doesn't make me feel good, right? But no, that's not but the, that's, art, that's art, what I love about it. Yeah, yeah. And most of the pieces that we've talked about don't make me feel good. The black square makes me feel great, but right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but like I, they made fun of me a lot when I was at uh, when I was at Bevel. Um, I took extra English courses because I was good at it, and um, I needed to boost my GPA. But um, they always made fun of me because in any in literary pieces i wanted everybody to die and i wanted everybody to be miserable I, that's i think that's why i love ethan from yeah. so much yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know but when i'm reading something for fun i want a fluffy happy ending well that sounded terrible but you know what i mean <laughs> um, yeah so i think it's the same with art you know i want pieces that make me deeply uncomfortable like helena but then i also want pieces like a monet you yeah. know kind of make me feel serene you know yeah yeah so i yeah no the the, the fish and blenders will forever make me feel uncomfortable but, <laughs> but it's great yeah yeah but yeah well thank you for rambling with me about modern art for two hours jacob oh Professor. yeah this is uh, this is what i i enjoy doing most i keep on flirting with the idea of of teaching a course that's social theory through uh through art history because uh, i enjoy it so much but uh <laughs> no I'd, I'd definitely that would be that would be super cool yep. um well i will i will leave you there Hey, everybody, and thank you for listening. I just wanted to stop by to tell you some pretty cool news. I now have a Patreon, so head on over to Patreon, become a patron, give me money. I love it. And you can also head on over to ifitstwisted.bigcartel.com and get yourself a twisted t-shirt. Follow me on Twitter at ifitstwisted. And then follow me on Facebook for updates. If there's something you want me to cover, email me at ifitstwistedpodcast at gmail.com. Stay weird, y'all.